All right, well, good morning. I am so glad that you are here. If you are a guest with us, thanks for being here. My name is Matt Darby. I get to be the teaching and campus pastor here for our Gilmer campus, and I really am honored that you would come and worship with us and and open God's Word with us this morning. You've come on a great day. Uh, We are in the middle of our series called But I Say, and we're looking at some phrases that Jesus used where he would say something like, you have heard that it was said, but I say, and he's walking his, uh, his believers and the people where he's building the kingdom of God into a new way of thinking, and he's teaching them the kingdom standard of righteousness, and ultimately what we find him doing is using some examples of what it looks like for um, us to realize God is after our heart before he's after our hands, right? He's teaching us that the kingdom of God is first about the position of our heart, the motives in our heart before the action of our hands. And he's teaching that at the Sermon on the Mount um, through some everyday examples, stuff that we deal with and and wrestle with every day. And thankfully, in the first two weeks of this sermon, uh, we haven't had to navigate anything awkward like anger or lust. You know what I mean? And so it's just been totally normal. And um, today, Jesus has walked us through some difficult things. Uh, some difficult teachings, and today he's going to walk us through another difficult issue, and that is the issue of divorce. And we're in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 31, if you you want to go there. And as you're doing that, um, I I want you to hear me say this morning that I I recognize some things that are true. First is this, um, there's probably few, if any, families in this room that divorce has not um, affected, including my own. Uh, maybe your parents uh, went through a divorce. Maybe you've helped, had to help your children go through that, a close relative. Maybe you yourself personally have gone through uh, a divorce. And, and I would tell you, I know full well, as do you, that this issue always brings up strong emotions. And the reason it brings up strong emotions is because um, divorce is, is um, a reminder often of deep hurts and deep wounds that we carry. Um, There's often memory of betrayal. There's often memory of personal failure um, accompanied with this. And it just, it it, it reminds us of seasons that are dark and difficult. And so I want you to hear me say this morning as we get ready to open God's word, um, that if you have been through that, if you've been through a divorce or a failed marriage, I want you to hear me say, I'm sorry that, that you went through that. I know that it was difficult. I know that it hurt. I know that it probably still hurts. It's difficult, right? And so what I want us to do this morning as we kind of approach this issue is to covenant together that our only aim, the only thing that we want to have today is gospel lenses and lenses full of grace. My only aim is that we would approach this issue and see this issue the way Jesus sees it. That's it. And so, will you covenant me with me that that's our goal? Our goal is just to look at this and see this the way Jesus uh, sees it. And I think if we do that, no matter where you are in the narrative, whether you're single, never been married, single again, wherever you are, married, wherever you are, you're going to be encouraged and challenged today. And that's the goal. So if you are single, if you're single... This is not the Sunday that you get to check out. This is the Sunday I want you to hear. God wants to put tools in your bag to help you know how to be as a spouse and what to look for in a spouse. If you are single again, so maybe you've been through divorce and you find yourself in that in-between 
place. I want you to hear me say, I hope today is about you feeling restored and recovering maybe what feels uh, uh, broken and, and out, outside of what God could ever restore in your life. And I hope you experience grace and recognize that the approach today is for all of us to acknowledge this is not the unpardonable sin. And I will tell you, the church in the past has done a disservice to those who have navigated this by treating it as if it were an unpardonable sin. It is not. And we're going to put this thing under the gospel tent. It's going to come under the banner of Jesus' blood and that we are forgiven and we need grace and we give grace. So if that's where you find yourself, um, if you're in a marriage and you're in a difficult season this morning and maybe in your mind or even you've said out loud, you've, you've brought divorce onto the table and you've started to consider it as an option. My prayer is that today you would um, allow the Lord to, to pull you back from the brink and to, to speak life into your marriage and hope into your marriage. And then maybe this morning you're sitting in here and you're going, hey, I'm, I'm married, happily married, and, and th things are going great. I feel like my marriage is healthy. Awesome. If that's you, wonderful, then here's what today is about. Today is about reestablishing the priority of your marriage and the glory of God being displayed in it and the foundation of the gospel in it, all right? That's what today is about, about as a church and as a people and as a society that we would reorient our mind and our heart around God's design for marriage. So I brought some things to kind of help me think about that this morning. Show of hands, how many of you right now, uh, either parents or grandparents, have on your refrigerator or somewhere in your house, you have displayed artwork that your children have made. Who's got some on the fridge, right? And you're pretending that you love it so much. I mean, you love it so much. And I have, <laughs> I have two things this morning I want to show you that, I, that I've kept over the years that my daughter, Kelsey, uh, made me. When she was three years old, she, she made me this. Look, look how cute that is. You see that? Oh, right. Doesn't that just feel good? Uh, her little handprints and stretched out, meant to be kind of a picture of a big hug. I love you, Daddy. I love you this much. Oh, sweet. I love it. Uh, she was three years old when she made this. She obviously had help. She did not do that uh, on her own. She was three years old. However, when she was seven, she colored me a picture that was just her doing. And I've got it here, but I've also got a picture of it right there. And she colored this picture when she was seven years old, and she gave it to me. Right? Now, I looked at that picture... And I thought, man, that's really cool. Not 100% sure what it is. Not 100% sure. I was like, is that a bird? Is it, a, is it an airplane? Is it just some shapes and you wanted to use every crayon in the box? What, what, are, we, what are we dealing with here? And she said, no, it's an airplane. I was like, awesome. I love it. Now, what if I would have looked at this picture and said, no, Kelsey, it's not an airplane. That's a bird. You drew a bird, baby. That's what you drew. I don't, do, do, who gets to decide what this picture is? She does. Why? She drew it. She drew the picture. This is her creation. This is her design. So because it's her design, she gets to define it. She gets to tell me what that is, no matter what I want it to be or what I think it is. Do you see where I'm going this morning? God has painted for us a beautiful picture of marriage. It's his design. He created it. So if he created it, he's the one who gets to tell us what it looks like. He's the one that gets to tell us how we are to enjoy it, what it 
means, how to prioritize it, how to honor it, how to navigate through it. He's the one that gets to define it. And so hear me say this morning, my only aim, my only goal is that we would leave with a clear picture of God's design for our marriage. Is that okay? If that's, if that's kind of where we land this morning. And so um, the reason that I want to do that and the reason I think we need to look at God's design and feel like we have a clear understanding of it is because until we understand marriage and God's design, we will always, always misunderstand divorce. You can't clearly understand the issue of divorce if you don't clearly understand the issue of marriage. So we're going to look at marriage from God's design this morning. So grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5 with me. We're going to start in verse 31. Just as a reminder, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has taught the Beatitudes, the blessed are those who, and for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's walked us through that. He's told us that we're salt and light. He's told us that he's come to fulfill the law and that our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And here's what that looks like. And then he dealt with the issue of anger and said, in the kingdom of God, anger is the new murder. Then he dealt with the issue of lust. And he said, in the kingdom of God, lust is the new adultery. And now here's the follow-up to that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's just pray and ask God for grace as we unpack his word this morning. Lord, I I do ask for grace and for mercy and divine Um, covering as we open your word this morning. Um, God, we've already acknowledged, but we acknowledge now before you that this is hard for us. This issue, this topic is hard for us, and we need you. We need your presence. We need your um, discernment. We need your forgiveness in some areas. We need your deliverance in others. And God, we, we just need divine wisdom And so would you draw near to us, God, as we open your word? Would you cover me in my mind, in my mouth, in my heart today? And I ask that in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. So what we find here in Matthew 5, Jesus addressing, is a very common approach um, to divorce in his day. It was an approach that... um, Most of the religious leaders and the people had accepted, but this approach was actually built on the misinterpretation of the teaching of Moses. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, told told them that um, if a man were to find some indecency in his wife, that's the word he uses is indecency, it's the Hebrew word erva, E-R-V-A-H, that's the Hebrew word, which means um, some sort of sexual uncleanness or unfaithfulness. If he were to find this indecency in his wife, then he may give her a certificate of divorce. It's important to remember Moses doesn't command divorce. He simply, in that situation, permitted it, right? And so over the centuries, however, what had begun to happen was the people had begun to take that teaching of Moses and that word, erva, that word that meant indecency, and they began to use it to move away from God's original design for marriage. And this is what Jesus is addressing 
in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus addresses this very same issue of marriage and divorce over in Matthew chapter 19. Here in Matthew 5, we get two short verses. Um, In Matthew 19, he unpacks this and gives a lot more context. And so I want us to look at that teaching where he talks about this because I think it will help us fully understand Matthew 5 as well. So if you want to go to Matthew 19, go ahead and jump over there with me, and I'll kind of tell you where we are in the narrative. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has left Galilee, and he has made his way into Judea, and in Judea, he continued to do what he did, which is he preached the kingdom of God, he called people to repentance, he healed diseases, he cast out demons, all of these things, and as he did that, no matter where he went, a large crowd would gather to him, and then they would start to follow him everywhere he went. Well, when the large crowd was gathering, always in those crowds, whether it was here in Matthew 19 or back in at the Sermon on the Mount, when there was a large crowd, there would always be religious leaders in those crowds. So the Pharisees would would sprinkle into those crowds because this was Jesus and he had the attention of the masses. So they would always be around to hear what he is teaching. And they're around in this crowd right now in Judea in Matthew chapter 19. And they're going to take this very public opportunity to try and trap Jesus and trick him and get him to disqualify himself. And they're really going to try to embarrass him publicly. You ever had anybody try to embarrass you publicly? Like on purpose, they tried to embarrass you. Man, make you want to throw punch a human. You know what? I'm, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Uh, kids, students, uh, love your enemies. That's what God's word says. Love your enemies. That's what you're supposed to do. Throat punch does not mean love your enemies. I think he just said that in the Sermon on the Mount a few minutes ago. Um, but he's, you have these people that try to embarrass you publicly. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They wanted to publicly humiliate Jesus and disqualify him in front of everyone so that they could be rid of him. And that's the conversation we're about to, we're about to peek in on in Matthew chapter 19. So look with me at verse 3. It says this, And the Pharisees came up to him and they tested him by asking... Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, I want you to notice the question they actually ask. They said, is it lawful, is it biblical to divorce your wife for any reason? Now, what did Moses say back in Deuteronomy? These are the experts in the law. What had Moses said back in Deuteronomy 24? Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, Moses said it is Irva, sexual indecency, unfaithfulness, this was the only reason that you may divorce. But the reason that they used this question in this way was because by the time Christ came along, there were essentially two schools of thought around the issue of divorce. One very conservative, one very liberal. And those two schools of thought had risen essentially from the teaching of two rabbis. You had a rabbi named Rabbi Shammai very conservative. He taught what Moses said, that divorce is only permitted, again, never commanded. It's only permitted in the situation where there is erva, sexual indecency, unfaithfulness. But there was another rabbi whose teaching had become very popular named Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel had actually taken that word erva, uncleanness or indecency, and broadened it out to essentially mean anything that a husband might find undesirable in his wife. Right now, it's important to remember at this time, a wife couldn't, husband, couldn't divorce her husband. Only the husband could do this. And so this rabbi had taken that word and broadened it out to mean anything that the husband found unacceptable or undesirable. I'll give you some for, for, some, for instances, some examples here. Every one of these are true, and they're actually written. 
Rabbi Hillel taught that if a wife, in preparing her husband's meal, used too much spice, uncleanness, that's a reason for divorce. I kid you not. Too much salt in the food, out you go. Um, Rabbi Hillel taught that if a wife left her house without her head covered, uncleanness, divorce. If she um, were to speak to another man outside of her home, in any way, say a word out loud to another man, uncleanness, divorce. How about this one? If she were to speak so loud that her neighbors could hear her, hello, uncleanness, divorce. This is my favorite. If she were to speak ill of her parent, of her husband's parents, come on, come on. I don't know if Carrie Darby would have made it. I'm just going to be honest with you. We would have been on the bubble. We, were, we would have been on the bubble a few times is all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> but it, she would have, it was uncleanness, divorce. Now, who do you think's view was the most popular to men in this time? Rabbi Hillel, you better believe it. You give me the teaching that says I can take the easy way out no matter what. That's, that was the popular teaching, and this is what Jesus was addressing. Because the heart of the people had believed that they were following the law. We're following the teaching of Rabbi Hillel. That's my guy. He's the teacher of the law. He said it's okay, so I'm good. And again, Jesus is reorienting, reorienting them back to the heart of the matter. Reorienting them back to God's design. And the reason that the Pharisees had asked this question of Jesus in Matthew 19 is because they had heard what he taught at the Sermon on the Mount. They knew that, that Jesus affirmed the teaching of Rabbi Shammai, that only sexual indecency was a reason for divorce. So they heard him at the Sermon on the Mount. They're trying to trap him now in Matthew chapter 19. And so let's look together at how Jesus answers this question. The question is, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. Verse 4, Jesus said, have you not read? By the way, anytime Jesus says that to the Pharisees, he is about to drop a doctrinal bomb on them. And um, because he's, he's essentially asking, guys, didn't you do your homework? Y'all are experts. Did you forget to read this part? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I find it very interesting that Jesus answered the question about divorce, not by talking about divorce, but by talking about marriage. Isn't that interesting? That's how he answered their question. Um, and so the reason he did that, listen, was because what their hearts needed and what our hearts need is not clarity on why divorce is okay, but clarity on why marriage is sacred. That's what they needed. That's what we need. That's the, that, so that's why he started. He answered their question about divorce by talking about marriage. And they then sh and, he, and he did this by taking them all the way back to the first marriage. He goes back to Genesis chapter 2, right? He goes back to the very first marriage to remind them of God's good design. So all he did was quote 
Genesis chapter 2 to them where they were experts and listen to their response. Now here comes the trap. Here comes the loaded question in verse 7. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, did Moses command it or did Moses permit it? Which one? He permitted it. He did not command it. Every time the enemy wants to trip you, he's going to twist God's word. What did he do to Eve? Didn't God say? Twisted that word. And here we see the Pharisees twisting the word to cause confusion. Didn't Moses command one to give a certificate of of a divorce to send her away? Here's essentially what they're saying. Um, They're saying, if you don't agree with divorce, why did Moses allow it? Why did Moses say it was okay? Are you saying that Moses, God's prophet, was a false prophet? You see the trap they're laying for him? But look how Jesus answered in verse 8. But he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus answers their question by reminding them and teaching them Moses permitted divorce because of their sinful hearts. That's why he permitted it. In this culture, a woman could not divorce her husband. It was impossible. She wasn't allowed to do it. So here's what would happen. Because a man essentially now could have divorced his wife for any reason, he would put his wife away and she would not have the means of remarrying because she had no verification that she had been released from her first marriage. So women were being put out of their marriage with no ability to care for themselves, so they would end up in abject poverty. Some of them ended up in prostitution, just trying to survive. And Jesus is saying, the reason Moses permitted this was for the sake of protecting the woman you're abandoning because of the sin sin and the hardness in your heart. That's why Moses gave the certificate. He said, this woman is going to need proof She's been released from this marriage so that she is in abandon and in poverty, so that she has a means of being able to remarry and have a life. Jesus is saying the only reason this was created was because of your sin and the hardness of your heart. Now I want you to remember something here. Jesus is having this conversation in a very public setting, right? His disciples are there. People that he has set free, he's just, he has just healed some people and cast out demons. And the people upon which he's going to build the kingdom of God are around him with the Pharisees. And that's who he's actually talking to right now. He's answering the Pharisees' questions, but he's teaching the kingdom citizen. That's what's happening. And he's doing that but because in the, he's teaching them that in the kingdom, listen, we don't settle for what is permitted. We pursue what God intended. That's the goal. He's teaching his kingdom citizens, this isn't about finding out what I can get away with. This is about finding out what is the heart of God and how do I get after that? But that's opposite of what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees would ask themselves the question, well, what's wrong with it? How far can we go? Rabbi Hillel said, if she puts too much salt in the food or talks bad about my mama, that feels fine to me, feels good, I think I'll do that. Right? And Jesus is saying, no, it's the heart of the matter. It's about what did God intend, not what is permitted. 
How many of you in raising your children remember those moments or maybe you had one this morning on the way to church? I don't know. But you have those moments where you're, you've, you've given the instruction, you've told your kid where the line is, hey, this is, this is what I expect, here's the boundary, Don't, and then they just kind of tiptoe right up against that rascal, and then they push the boundary a little, and they step over, and they peek over, and they kind of stick their foot and dang, you mean this? I can't do this, right? Maybe that's just my kid, but they do that. What's behind that? That isn't a heart of obedience. What is that? That's a heart wanting to know what I can get away with. Do you really mean what you say? And that's where, that's what Jesus was warring against. That's what he's battling against here. And according to Jesus, marriage now from the beginning was a permanent covenant relationship joined together by God for a lifetime. And can we just all look honestly at our culture and our society and embrace this reality? As that has broken down. Culture hasn't gotten better. You want to know why? Because when God created the earth and he created society, the first thing he instituted was not a school, not a business, not a social club. The first thing God instituted to give life and stability to a culture and a society was a family. And when the family begins to erode, so goes society and culture. Listen, this is why Jesus said we got to be salt and light. This is why Jesus said, I need you to be light, the light of the world that shines the light of the gospel on the things that aren't pleasing to God. And I need you to be the salt. I need you to be out there preserving what is good and bringing people back to my good design. The first thing he instituted was the family. So, I want to give you three takeaways this morning. Three things that I think we see in the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19, because these are partner passages of Scripture here. Three takeaways that I think are going to be helpful and a blessing to our marriages. Here's the first one. The foundation of a lasting marriage is a covenant. The foundation of a lasting marriage is a covenant. Again, Jesus goes back to the original marriage, reminding us that the foundation of marriage is a covenant. He says in Genesis 2, verse 25, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One. That, whole, that word hold fast, or in the King James, I think it says cleave, literally means to make a covenant with. It means it's the idea of being bound together, of being fastened together permanently, meaning single people, newly married, meaning this. Marriage is more than emotional sentiment. Marriage is more than your strong feelings. Marriage is more than even feeling deep love. It is entering into a relationship that is rooted in commitment and permanence. That's what it is. A covenant is to enter into a relationship with certain obligations that you have vowed to fulfill, ready, regardless of what the other person does. Ooh, that's hard. Ooh, I don't like that part. But that's what it is. It's why we use words like, for better or for worse, richer for poor, I swear, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Why? Because we're entering into a covenant. And a covenant is a binding, holy agreement that two people make 
before God. In the marriage, this binding together, this covenant is so permanent that Jesus said no longer do the two even exist, but the two have become what? One. They've become one. This this is a uniting and a binding beyond a legal document. This is a soul-level binding. Which is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, when he's talking through this, he said, So then, in this covenant, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God himself has united the husband and the wife as one. And listen, in divorce, there is a, there is a tearing away, a tearing apart of what God has joined together. Let me illustrate it like this. Our culture has this approach and this view of divorce, like a post-it note, meaning, ah, if it gets kind of hard, if it's, just, if it's just not convenient, ah, if we just can't seem to figure it out, we're just going to easily, we'll just kind of ease out of it, no big deal, I'll let her go, um, she, she can go do what she wants to do. I'm going to just kind of tear away, just nice and easy, nice and clean break, no real thing, and I'll go do my, oh, we may have to do a little counseling here and there. We may, you know, we may have to help the kids get through it, but really, we're, we're just going to take this approach, just a nice, easy, clean break. Divorce never looks like this, ever. Divorce looks a lot more like a, sealed envelope, that when I go to try and get in it, there is no way for me to get into this envelope apart from ripping and tearing and pulling it apart. This is what divorce looks like. Divorce has been in my family, maybe it's been in your family, and you can attest it never looks like this. It always looks like this. I heard a pastor say divorce is like a funeral that never ends. <laughs> and, and it is. And here, here's what happens when we begin to embrace divorce as okay, as, as less than, as it really isn't going to damage us. We begin to drift away from that covenant, and we move toward two cheaper versions. Here they are. One is the casual version. Here's the casual version. And if this is you in this morning, this isn't meant to be a, be a dark. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit. The casual version is we're just going to live together. We don't need that document. We're going to get under the same roof, and we're going to we're going to sleep together. We're going to do all the things married people do. We're going to bind our life together. But if it don't work out, no big deal. And if it happens to work out, great. If we decide it's worth it, there's something special here, then we'll go get the legal document. You know what that is? That's practicing divorce. That's practicing how to be divorced. The other approach is the contractual approach. So you've got the casual, then you've got the contractual. The contractual says, we're married We've got the document, but here's the way we're going to relate to one another. I will only do my part in this marriage if you do your part in this marriage. So if you don't treat me right, I don't got to treat you right. If you don't speak well of me, I don't have to speak well of you. If you're not being thoughtful of me, I won't be thoughtful of you. If you're not being considerate of my feelings, I won't be considerate of your feelings. That's a contract. 
both the casual and the contractual is actually a relationship built around what I want. It's built around my primary, what I want to feel and what I need. And and actually in a covenant, uh, the marriage is built around what I'm called to give, not what I'm called to receive. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Carrie and I have been married 21 years. And in 21 years, there have been seasons where we acted like our marriage was a contract. Where we just treated each other like, "Mm, if you aren't willing to put in the work, I'm not putting in the work. If you don't treat me right, I ain't treating you right. Right? If you ain't willing to do your chores, I'm not doing the dishes. We can eat off Frisbees as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) That's when you feel a low in your marriage, when you're eating off a Frisbee. All right? (laughs) But what's the point? The point is your marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. And a covenant says, I'm going to hold up my end even if you don't. Even if you can't, I'm going to. Foundation of a marriage, of a lasting marriage is a covenant. Here's the second thing. The aim of a healthy marriage is friendship. The aim of a healthy marriage is friendship. Listen, there is more to your marriage than your kids. There is more to your marriage than just sticking it out. There's more to your marriage than than being financially stable and having what looks like a great life. God has given you your marriage. And by the way, there's more to your marriage than avoiding divorce. God has given you your marriage not to survive but to thrive, for it to be a blessing, which is why he's given marriage as a gift with the aim of friendship and intimacy with one another. You see this aim of of companionship all the way back again at the first marriage. We keep going back to the first marriage. God created Adam and he placed him in the Garden of Eden. Now, the planet was perfect. The Garden of Eden was perfect. Everything was amazing. And yet somehow there was something missing in Adam's life. Everything in creation had a counterpart except for him. And in Genesis 2.18, God said, "Then then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Men, God knew from the very beginning we couldn't be trusted by ourselves. You know what I mean? Right from the beginning. So what did God do? He created Eve. He created a wife. He created a friend. That word used to describe Eve can be translated same but different, meaning like Adam but different than Adam, meant to be a companion with Adam to increase Adam's enjoyment of God's creation and to glorify God. And Adam was meant to do the same for her. Listen, singles are single again. This is why we date believers. Because the person who has the potential to be your spouse has to have the same love for God and pursuit of God that you do. It's why we date believers, because they, they exist, whether it is your future husband or your future wife. Their goal, their aim, the reason God's going to give them to you is to help you enjoy God's creation and glorify God. So just hear my heart here. Hear my heart. Because I hear this all the time. Ah, oh, but Pastor Matt... What if God uses me too? Bring them. Is that possible? Mm -hmm. Can I tell you what I've seen happen way more often? God uses the person who was lost to pull the person who was once fully committed to Jesus away from him. We don't missionary date. 
Okay, that's all I'm going to say because I feel like the room just got uncomfy. All right. <laughs> this idea of intimacy and friendship at the, at the deepest level is affirmed in the creation of sexual intimacy. In Genesis chapter 4, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, and she, his wife, and she conceived. That term there means to know someone completely. Yes, it's a reference to sexual intimacy, but it paints a larger picture that marriage is about friendship. It's about knowing someone fully and loving them completely. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says that they were naked, but they were unashamed, right? It's to be fully known, warts and all, and to be fully loved and accepted. That's, that's the picture there. I had the privilege of seeing what this looked like, this idea of being fully known and fully loved in my grandparents' marriage. My mother's parents, their name was John and Ada Rose Gull. You know, nobody's named Ada, names like Ada Rose anymore. I used to ask my grandma all the time, Grandma, what else did you Ada? Anyway, she, she didn't like the joke anymore than you did. And so John and Ada Rose Gall were married 55 years before my grandfather died, and she lived 14 more years after that. My grandfather had a uh, degenerative muscle disease, and in my earliest childhood memories, he could get around a little bit, but he had to have help. And then he had to have a walker, and then it progressed. He was wheelchair-bound, and ultimately he spent the last several years of his life um, bedridden. Um, and the reason I tell you that is because for the last 25 years of my grandparents' marriage, sexual intimacy wasn't a reality for them. It just wasn't a reality. Can I tell you something? The last 25 years of their marriage, their friendship, their companionship, and their intimacy was so much deeper than the first 25. You want to know Why? Because they built it on the gospel. They built it on friendship. Now, don't hear me say sexual intimacy in a marriage isn't important. It is important, and it should be healthy, and it is a picture of God's love for us, and it is good that we have that. It is a good gift for the marriage. But hear me say it only paints the larger picture that the aim of this is companionship and friendship with one another. Husbands, your wife is more to you than what she provides you sexually. She is your life companion and your friendship, and there should not be a human being who is closer to your heart than her. Ladies, the same is true. You can't have a friend who knows you better than your husband knows you. Okay. The aim of a healthy marriage is friendship. Here's the last thing. The means to a fulfilled and impactful marriage is the gospel. What fulfills our marriage? The gospel. What makes it fulfilled? The gospel does. What makes our marriage impactful? The gospel does. It's these two things. This covenant of marriage, it, here's why. Because it requires a love of us, from us, that is beyond what we actually have in our natural ability. How many of you in this room have been married for a minute and you can attest, my marriage requires me to love my spouse beyond what my flesh can love them? Come on, right? That's just real. That's just real talk. I love what the disciples said in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus lays this out about marriage and look what they say in verse 10. And the disciples said to him, um, Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's it just better not to, not to marry. It's just better that we don't do this. This seems really, really hard. Uh, 
you know what? That's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. Jesus is building the kingdom and he is being sure they understand you cannot honor God in your marriage apart from the gospel. You have to have the gospel because what is the gospel? The gospel is God's unbreakable commitment to his very broken creation. That's the gospel, which means in my marriage, it has to be an unbreakable commitment to what I know is a very broken person. If you're dating somebody right now and you don't know it yet, I'm going to tell you a little something about them. They're broken. There's, you know what marriage is? It's two sinners, two broken people living together, which means what? We're going to offend one another. We're going to sin against one another. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to betray each other. So how does the gospel fulfill that marriage? Because in the same way that I betrayed God, he remained in covenant relationship with me and loved me anyway. There was an unbrokable commitment given to a very broken person. And my marriage is nothing less than my unbreakable commitment to my wife in full knowledge that she is a broken person. That's what it is. So the gospel has to fulfill our marriage. But not only that, the gospel is what makes our marriage impactful. We learn from Ephesians 5 that our marriage to one another is meant to paint the picture of God's covenant relationship between Jesus and the church. It's meant to paint the picture that God is about, say, it's meant to display the gospel. It's meant to show the world God's love for us. It's meant in the fact that my wife and I can hurt one another and stay committed to one another. That is meant to be a banner call to the world that there is a God who loves them and he loves them in spite of their brokenness. It's meant to say, if you'll look at this, what you'll see is two people who, because of Jesus, are not navigating this perfectly, but we're committed to one another. Because that's a picture of the reality that God has committed to us, even though we are broken, which means this. Your marriage is not about your happiness. It's about the declaration of the gospel. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, I want my marriage to be about how it makes me feel and the warm fuzzies and all that. Mm. I hope that's a part. I hope it is. But your marriage is first about God's mission, not about your happiness. It's about declaring that God loves us and there is a love that is bigger than our failure. And that's the story I want my marriage to tell. So you say, great. Pastor, I, I agree with, it, with every bit of that. Every bit of that I agree with. But what do I do in the situation I'm in now? I've already had a failed marriage. I've already been through a divorce. What do I do? If you've already been through a divorce, whether it was because of something you did or something done to you or just because it was a completely unbiblical reason and y'all just went, we can't work this out. The only thing you can do is apply the gospel. And what does the gospel call us to do? to repent, to confess, repent, and make amends where we can. That doesn't mean you go back and get remarried to that person. What it means is where you have wronged, you carry what's yours to carry. Some of you may have an ex-spouse who needs a phone call that just simply says, I just need to tell you something. Um, the way that went, some of that was my fault, and I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me. 
Some of you may have been the victim in that. And what you need to do is extend forgiveness even if it hasn't been asked for. You just need to say, I had no choice in how that ended. And I'm still carrying these wounds and these deep scars and it's still playing out in my life. And the way you need to let the gospel lay on that is for God to reach in and and begin to restore and heal and make sure that there's no root of bitterness being planted in you. Because listen to me, do you believe in a God who redeems all things? Do you believe that when he says I'm the God of hope that he really is the God of hope? Then if you believe that, wherever you find yourself in that narrative, you can say, God, I'm going to put myself before you. That wasn't my fault, but it is a reality I'm navigating. Would you lay the gospel on it and begin to shape my heart and have me ready for what's next in this journey? Maybe you're in a situation where you're in a relationship that is abusive. I hope you haven't heard me say it's God's will that you stay in a relationship where you are being abused. Verbal, emotional, physical, mental. Um, It is outside the nature and character of God that he would force you to stay somewhere where you are unsafe and perpetually being harmed. So if you find yourself in that situation and you just don't know what to do, I want to tell you this. We're here to help you. Your church will help you. We've helped people navigate that before. We'll help you navigate it. You reach out, and we're, we're here to help you with that. And I believe that even in that situation, God can restore and do a beautiful work in your heart. So this morning, the time of response is going to look like this. Maybe your marriage is healthy, and you're not walking through anything difficult. Um, and you just need to reestablish the gospel as the foundation. I, w- I want you to do that while we sing. Just take your spouse by the hand. You come down here and pray. Say, let's go make sure we keep this thing grounded on Jesus. Um, maybe you're in a situation where you've been treating one another like your marriage is a contract. You don't treat me right. I ain't treating you right. You don't consider my feelings and my thoughts and my wishes. I'm not considering you. And you've just become really good roommates. And you need to take each other by the hand and you need to come to the altar and just say, God, we want better for us. We don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. Let God hit reset in your marriage. Maybe this morning you look back on your story and go, yeah, there were some things in that previous marriage that were my fault and I've never confessed those. And you just need to say, God, I just, I'm asking for forgiveness and for the freedom to ask for forgiveness where I need to. Or maybe you just need to come and say, I need healing for what, from what was done to me. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I want you to hear me say, the gospel is enough. The Lord has a good and perfect plan for you that according to the book of Jeremiah is for your good and not your harm. And he can work all things. This ain't just some sign you see at Hobby Lobby. This is real. He can work all things, even what is difficult and harmful and broken. He can work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you are in relationship with Jesus, that's you. You love him, he loves you, and you've been called according to his purpose. So that's what I want you to do. Some of you need to move this morning at 11 o'clock. My wife's going to sit on that front row and I'm going to walk off the stage, take her by the hand, and we're getting to this altar because I want my marriage to stay grounded on the gospel. And some of you, you just need to step out and just come make that commitment and let God do the work. Let's pray, then we'll we'll respond. Lord, I love you and I'm thankful for you. I'm praying that in the power of your name and for your glory, you would move in our hearts this morning.
God, that we would not allow the enemy to bind us, but rather that we would find freedom in the name of Jesus and in your good design. So, Lord, come now. We pray it in Jesus' name.